You're listening to the Restoration Church Podcast. We are a local congregation in Lexington, Kentucky, and we would love to see you join God's restoring work of love in your life. You can find out more about us at restorationlex.com slash welcome. There's helpful links about how you can grow, how you can serve, and be good news in our city. Thanks for listening. Um, As we heard earlier, it's Epiphany. This is the season of the church. It's centered on the revelation of who Jesus is, seeing Jesus clearly, sometimes seeing Jesus for the first time clearly. And so this is a perfect place for us to start as a church as we begin this seventh year as a church, which is wild to think on the 21st. We're giving our attention in this season once again to the revelation of Jesus, to what it looks like to follow Jesus together as a church. And our passage that we're looking at today, in the lectionary as we follow this, every week when we are preaching through this, there is a Old Testament passage, and there's a psalm, and then there's a New Testament passage, and then there's a gospel reading. A lot of churches, they read through every single one of them, and so some weeks we spend time in the gospel. Every now and then we'll spend time in the other places as well. This week is actually in the New Testament reading of Acts 19, which is a strange sort of place to be. We find ourselves in Paul's ministry. He is in the city of Ephesus. Now, Ephesus, if you don't know anything about Ephesus, was a religious centerpiece in the ancient world. It's a big city, very important politically. It was the place where the temple of Artemis was, and so there's tons and tons of religious life here. And in our world, where we increasingly live in a very pluralistic society, meaning that Christianity is one of many religions that we encounter on a daily and weekly basis, Understanding that context is very important. Christianity in that time was a small, tiny little community in the midst of a very religious world, kind of like where we are today. So as we look at this encounter that Paul has with these men here in Acts 19, that's the context that we're looking at. So look with me here on the screen, starting in verse 1. It says, while Apollo, Apollos was at Corinth, Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. And there he found some disciples and asked them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. So, strange, Paul finds these men that the Bible describes as disciples but they've never even heard of the Holy Spirit. What's going on? I mean, if they've not heard of the Holy Spirit, are they really disciples? I mean, Jesus talked a ton about the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, we see that the gathered community of Jesus, the Holy Spirit falls on them at Pentecost and fills them up. So how can there be disciples who have never heard of the Holy Spirit? And the answer simply comes in the form of the clarity of this passage, which tells us that they're, God, they're disciples of someone else. Verse 5 says, when, you know, the baptism you received, is, it was it from someone else? They say it's John's baptism. It's John's baptism, they replied. Baptism at that time was not just a symbol of salvation. It marked an allegiance, a way of life. So when you're baptized... You're buried with Christ, you're raised with Him, but you're also publicly declaring to those around you, hey, I am living my life as a disciple of Jesus. 
And in this case, Paul finds these disciples, and he finds out that these are disciples, but they're disciples of John the Baptist, which may be strange for us to hear because we think disciple and discipleship, that's kind of Jesus' thing, right? It's his sort of thing that he deals with. But in the time of the the Acts that we see here in the Acts uh, 19, disciple was not just simply a Christian word. It was a distinctly normal, everyday word. It wasn't simply spiritual. It was something more. What we've done over time through culture is that we have spiritualized away the meaning of this word. Now, you and I, we find ourselves in a time right now where when we say Christian words, we have to be very specific about what we mean, right? Because in lots of different cultural backgrounds and contexts, when we say something, we need to make sure that we are actually speaking the same thing that someone else may be hearing somewhat very, very differently. So as you see words travel through culture, travel through denomination, travel through time, a lot of times they pick up baggage. They mean something entirely different than what they meant in the beginning. One such word evangelical. Now, a hundred years ago, evangelical was a very theological term. A hundred years ago, it it identified a multi-denominational movement of people identifying as Christians who not only believed in Jesus, believed in the scriptures, but they believed that the calling of the church as a whole was to invite the lost to come home to God, to invite people into relationship with Jesus. A hundred years later, in 2024, evangelical doesn't really mean that anymore, does it? Evangelical has lost all sense of its theological foundations, and now, because it's passed through culture and experience and time, it's now primarily a political word. It's a word that represents a voting block, a particular ideology that really at this point has zero theological foundation whatsoever, right? Now the same can be said for the shared meaning that what we talk about when we talk about discipleship, what that word means in disciple. The big question that we need to answer and look at today is what do we mean when we say disciple? That's what I want to do today is kind of offer hopefully some clarity and some vision around what disciple actually means. But not only that, just speak to what it means for us here at Restoration. So in the time of Jesus, in the Greek, this word disciple simply means student or a learner, someone who is learning something under someone else. In the Hebrew, this word is Talmud, meaning a student of a teacher or a philosopher. John McCormick points out in his book, Practicing the Way that Talmud is not just a learner, but a practitioner of an embodied way of life, one who is diligently working to be with and become like their master. In other words, this wasn't essentially a a matter of gathering your preferred information. When we say learner, it's not just gathering in knowledge, the word that best describes probably in the English language what disciple means in this context is this word apprentice. Do you know what an apprentice is? 
An apprentice is someone who comes under someone else. You're intentionally spending time with the master in order to not only learn and take in the information he has, but to apply this information in the way that the master would as well. You're not simply learning from someone. You're learning how to become like them in the process. Now, we have a vastly different education system in the West that's based almost entirely, in our sense, on how much knowledge that we can stuff into our brain. But in the time of Jesus, this was totally different. Education in the time of Jesus, when you were five years old, you would begin your schooling. And by the age of 12 to 13 years old, you would have the first five books of the Bible memorized. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, the Torah, completely memorized by 12 or 13. My kids would struggle, I think, with that. I don't know about you. That's a lot. Have you seen how much of the Bible that is? By 12 or 13, it was memorized. Now, at this point, after you've done that, most students would just go home to their parents because they're learning to do the trade of their parents, whether they're farmers or carpenters, they go home from there. But if you were a student in that world that excelled and even was interested in moving beyond that, then you moved on to something called Bet Midrash. And by the time you were 17 then, if you were one of these elevated students, you would have memorized the entire Old Testament. 17 years old, you'd have the entire New Test Old Testament memorized. I mean, have y'all looked at how much that is? Insane amount of information. Now, at that point, most everyone kind of goes about their life and moves on from there. But if you were among the best of those already the best, you would apply to learn under a rabbi. Now, a rabbi was a teacher they were not only teaching information, but they were teaching to interpret the law, how the law applies to our everyday lives. These rabbis trained under rabbis, who trained under rabbis, who trained under rabbis through this school of thought. So if you were wanting to take it to the highest level, you tried to be under as an apprentice a rabbi that was not simply in a classroom that you attended on a daily basis. When you were living as a disciple, as an apprentice of your rabbi, you spent every waking moment with them. Why? Because you didn't want to just know what's up here. You want to know how what's up here gets out there. So you spend your life with them. You're not just learning from them. You're learning to be like them. This was the aim of a disciple, an apprentice. Again, John Mark Comer in his book, Practicing the Way, he gives us the three focuses of what a disciple would be. He says, from that day on, as you come under a rabbi, your entire life was organized around these three driving goals. One, to be with your rabbi. Two, to become like your rabbi. And three, to do as your rabbi did. You have not just knowledge, you have presence, you have formation, and you have action.
action that flows from this. This was your aim, not simply to know more about the Bible, not simply to know and accumulate information about the law, but to know in this, how do I live this fully, not just from a text, but from a person living this text. He continues that apprenticeship then to Jesus, that is following Jesus, is a whole life process of being with Jesus for the purpose of becoming like him and carrying on his work in the world. It is a lifelong journey in which we gradually learn to say and do the kind of things Jesus said and did as we apprentice under him in every facet of our lives. Now here's where the rubber meets the road for us, right? So many of us, we have been sold that Christianity is simply gathering information and belief about Jesus and moving on from that. We have been taught that the the expression, the fullness of our expression of our faith is about a belief in Jesus that then secures our place in heaven and hopefully then affects the way we, we live down here. So if that's your understanding, you can call that discipleship, but what you'll turn discipleship into is just the continual, gradual accumulation of knowledge, hoping that information will eventually bring transformation. It means that you can gather that knowledge, you can have right belief about Jesus, but you at the same time cannot actually apprentice under him. this is the problem. If this is our understanding to, to how we approach our faith, we can believe in Jesus, and yet we can be discipled by something or someone else. We can show up in rooms like this on a weekly basis and have all the right theology, but in reality, we're apprenticing. Our lives are being formed by something or someone else. We might go to church, but maybe we're disciples of Instagram influencers teaching us our lifestyle and what we should know. We might go to church and believe in Jesus, but really we're being discipled by Fox News or CNBC. Maybe it's Christian celebrities and authors that we're taking in and trying to become like. Maybe it's our coworkers and our friends that we spend our weekends with. Whatever the case may be, one thing I know is unequivocally true for you and I, no matter where we stand in our faith, whether we believe or we don't believe, we are being discipled by someone or something, right? Are you with me? We are being discipled by someone or something. The question we have to ask and be really honest with is, who is that? Who is shaping the way we see and interpret our world? I want to give us five things to look at as we sort of indicate what that may be for us. First, look at your length. Who shapes the way you speak? That's the first way I always see one of these catchwords or phrases. You learn that somewhere. The way you speak about your neighbors, the way you speak about events in the world, you're picking up language from something or someone who is discipling you, from the voices that we allow to shape the way we see the world. Have you ever noticed, if you have children, how quickly they start talking like you? 
yeah, that's, uh, it's, it's depressing at times. But the same principle is true of us as adults who consume the kind of information, consume the voices, and we start talking like the people that we're following just as much as our children do us. Secondly, I would say look at your enemies. Where did you learn the bad guys were? Who taught you who was the enemy? Who taught you to dismiss and condemn You learned who the enemy was from someone, right? You didn't just magically make that appear one day. Someone taught you who stood on the opposite side of the dividing line. Whose voice are you listening to that's teaching you that enemy? The third thing here, look look at your habits. Aristotle, he famously said that we are what we repeatedly do. And so our habits reveal a great deal about the voices that we are receiving and consuming every day. It's the reason why I say over and over again, or maybe you say over and over again, I I can't find time to spend time in the presence of God, and yet I watch the entire series of The Crown in a week, and, 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 and oh, it's because my habits have formed me to not spend time in the presence of God because I've been shaped by something or someone else. Next, look at your relationships. It's not a matter of just who you spend your time with. It's a matter of what kind of people do you spend your time with. We are knowingly being formed by the people that we are with on a daily basis. Our family, our co-workers, the voices who are speaking into us, our identity. And finally, one more tough one, look look at your bank account. Ouch. I mean, it's hard but true. Jesus says where your treasure is, that's where your heart is too. Where we spend our money, how we spend our money reveals a great deal about what is discipling us, what is apprenticing us. It's why Jesus talks so much about money, because money says so much about our soul. Money says so much about who we trust and who we follow. Now, as we consider these things this morning, I want to ask you again, I want to ask myself again, who is discipling you? Who is forming you daily? For a long time, as I was leading our church and as I've been a pastor here, the number one question for me was, are we making disciples? And listen, that is a massively important question, a question we always need to have an answer to. Are we making disciples? Very important. In many ways, over the years, that answer has been yes. Have we been perfect? No, absolutely not. We, we have lots of ways we could grow. But as we've moved into this new year, for me, well, the one thing that the Lord, I think, is speaking more than anything to me is deeper than that question of are we making disciples is are we disciples, Right? Are we apprentices up under Jesus as his followers to be with him, to become like him, to live as he lived? For me, it's returning to those three intentions John Mark Comer talked about earlier for what we're speaking of. What did he say when we're following the rabbi that committed to be with the rabbi, to become like him, and to do what he did? I think for me, as we come into 2024, that's our focus as a church more than anything else. As a community of disciples, we need to learn to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do as he did. 
I am praying for this church that what we move into in both our practices, as we gather, as we get into community in our DNA groups, in our community groups, everything we do helps us be with Jesus, helps us become like Jesus, and helps us live and do as he did. And we're going to talk more about that in the weeks ahead and in the coming year of how that looks. But for today, I simply want to ask you, where you're at here, where do you stand with Jesus? I don't care if you've been in church your whole life. Where are you with Jesus? Is he simply a belief? Is he simply a tool to get you to somewhere when you die? Or have you heard his invitation? Have you heard the same invitation he gives to those who are not believers and those who've been in church their entire life? The same, same invitation is this. Follow me. Come and follow me. Be with me. Become like me. Do as I do. Live as I do. Jesus, that's what I'm praying for us. Humbly. Lord, I repent of the ways in which we have complicated and muddied the definitions and the expressions of what you've called us to. And may we begin this year once again with a reminder that you've called us to something more than just the right information in our head. That you have invited us to be apprentices of become like you. So Lord, in the midst of this process of following you, expressing our faith, not just in knowledge, but in character formation, in love for our neighbor. Bring us to a place of desire for something more, where you give us a holy discontent with things as they are. And you form us, Jesus, into the kind of people who've been with you, who are becoming like you. And as we move into our workplaces, our families, and our homes, wherever we are, that we can see people living like Jesus. Move us in that in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. We're to celebrate communion this morning. Every week we take these elements as a representation of what Jesus has done for us. We have some here on the table, there's some in the back as well. This cracker represents Jesus' body that's broken for us. The cross, his blood shed for our sin. And what we remember on a weekly basis, tangibly tasting these things, is that the Lord has made a way for us not just to believe in information about him, but by his Holy Spirit, through our salvation, to follow the living God in the here and now. The reason we can be disciples, call ourselves disciples, is because Jesus is not a dead deity laying in the ground with nothing more than information to offer us, but that he is a living, reigning God that by his Holy Spirit we receive and take in today 
So remember that as we take these elements. If we need to respond in prayer, however that may be, we want to take a few moments here and just listen to what the Lord's speaking. Respond.